I'm trying a new theme song today. That's courtesy of Low Fidelity All Stars. <laughs> Warming up the brain farm. It's one of my favorite songs. They did it just for us. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I've got them stuck in my head. Uh, what they're like a British uh, fucking I don't know techno pop band, whatever from the from the nineties. And I probably came to them around the same time I came to Vertigo Comics, so they're just like connected in my mind. Interlinked. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, well, welcome to Vertigo Voices. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. That was me illegally using a bit of a song for this. <laughs> if this made any fucking money, I would care, but it doesn't. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. We're glad to have you back, if you're there. Yeah, I've been gone for a little bit because of uh, going out of town. It's been hot as holy fucking hell in Spokane, and uh, went to the Oregon coast for a few days, where it was like 65 degrees. It was Fucking amazing. That sounds fantastic. I want to go there. Yeah, it was nice. Um, anyway, so we're back to this fucking goddamn sweltering mess of summer. <laughs> the devil's taint. Just constantly sweaty and angry. Exactly. <laughs> like a muffin that's been taken straight out of the oven and put in a Ziploc bag. Everything is just moist. I, I guess. <laughs> I, that still sounds like edible. <laughs> There's yeah. just, there's nothing good about this feeling. That's true. That's <laughs> Not true. even the smell of, of like fresh blueberry muffins. <laughs> it's just human stank. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, I've got some news. Um, it has been announced that there's a new human target series for Black Label. The, uh, whatever, the fucking Vertigo follow-up bullshit. Mute your phone. That was not my phone. That was your phone. That was your phone. No, it wasn't. My, my the, the silence mode is on. I will prove it to you right now. Okay, well, mine doesn't even make that noise. I don't know what that was. Okay. <laughs> human target. As Regardless, you were <laughs> human target uh, is at Black Label. A new book by Tom King, Greg's, Greg Smallwood. Uh, they've put out some, like, the the cover and some promotional images. So it's going to be about Christopher Chance and uh, the Justice League International from the 80s. Which, like that, I love the JLI, and I love Human Target, so we'll see how that works. Uh, I don't think it has any connection to the old Vertigo stuff or the original. I think it's just a new story, new direction, all that. Um, It would be interesting to see Guy Gardner and... Like Blue Beetle and whatnot, interact with Chance. So yeah, I, I have no idea what the story is going to be. It just looked good. Yeah, I, I, it's hard visualizing what that would even look like, but forward hill. Mm-hmm. Why not? Uh, the next is uh, I don't know if this is true or I don't watch the show right now, but apparently Constantine is going to be leaving Legends of Tomorrow. I don't know. I just saw fans all pissy about it on Twitter, which reminded me why I hate fans and. <laughs> Uh, why I don't follow a lot of people on Twitter. So, um, I, I don't know. I haven't watched any of this season. Maybe he got written out. Maybe the actor decided to leave. Who knows? But evidently, he's not going to be on it anymore. And I, I don't know if that's as of, like, today or the end of the season or what. I, so, who knows? Hmm. Well, may, moving on to other things, perhaps, like yeah. you said. 
Yeah, or, or I mean, yeah, or maybe maybe he's gonna do a spinoff. Who the fuck knows? But fans are not taking it well, even though they've spent the last probably season bitching about the character on the show being watered down. Whatever, you can't can't fucking uh, please them. Well, the only thing I really liked about that show is. Constantine making out with his boyfriend, whoever that other actor was, that was fun to watch them do that. And I'm sorry, that's my only, <laughs> that's my only liking of the show, really. <laughs> I liked it quite a bit. I well, I don't know. I'll eventually watch the new season, but uh, I like it well, uh, well enough. I like the humor and the weirdness, and it's one of the shows that just completely plays up the comic bookness of everything, <laughs> and I think that's fun. Instead of trying to make everything dour and serious, it has fun with it. True, true. Uh, also, I watched The Long Halloween Part 1, the new animated movie from oh, DC. yes. How was it? Uh, it was surprisingly decent. Really? I liked it. It didn't feel like the other fucking DC animated movies. Like, it had a, its very own style and tone. And one of the things that, that I noticed is that it, it flows like a detective story, which is how the Long Halloween comic works, but... I was still expecting explosions and supervillains and fucking fights and all, whatever. But it, it has a very, like, interesting detective story flow. And it's only part one, so it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. I, there's been some complaints with the animation, because it's their weird new animation style. Like their last Superman movie. Uh, I can't remember what that one was called, but I like that one too. But anyway, I didn't mind. It looked fine. It kind of almost looks like Flash animation, kind of. Hmm. A weird unpolished style but I liked it and I was really surprised that I liked it because the last few of their movies have not really sat well with me, <laughs> me either. and then uh, and then there, there also is a, a short on that one the DC showcase for the losers and the last few DC showcase shorts I've also fucking hated <laughs> so I already had my like one sentence review ready of like I'm losing interest in these stupid fucking shorts <laughs> but no, it was actually really good. <laughs> the Losers Finding Dinosaur Island, which is a story that has happened about a million times. So that was a uh, like well-worn story ground. But uh, it was fun, and it looked pretty, and it was nice to just see them gunning down dinosaurs. <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was fun. I, I can't say that I'm losing interest in those now. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll actually have to watch that because I had heard they made it into a, a, a long Halloween into a film and I was just going to skip it because like you said, the last few forays for DC animation, I was like, no, it just makes me disappointed. You might as well just wait a week because the second half is coming out at the end of July. So you might as well just watch them both together. There you go. It's only like 70 minutes each, so it's basically one movie. Very well. And again, it ends on a cliffhanger, so just watch them both. Sounds good. And then uh, I also have Colby's Got Issues. So I had something all set up, which I guess we'll do next week. But that changed because yesterday I went to an estate sale of uh, this guy who used to own a comic shop in town in the valley. So he has an estate sale. He was just, they, you know, like he died, I think, in March. And so they're just selling all of his stuff. Uh, and it's basically a store's worth of stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> Tons of comics. I didn't even look at the long boxes. Uh, he had, or they had a, like a spinner rack up front with key issues. Where I was able to snag these. First one is JLA number one. 
like oh. the first issue of Grant Morrison's JLA, which is my favorite JLA and a really rare comic. I got it for five dollars. <laughs> All right then. And then behind that, I got Sandman number fifty-four, which is the Prez issue. It's part of um, World's End, I think, and it's like a short story about Prez, uh, the kid president, um, which is itself a pretty good issue. But um, if you notice right there, it's signed <laughs> by Mike Alred, the uh, artist, nice, the creator of Madman and. Uh, a legend in the comic scene. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, a pretty insane find. That is great. I also got uh, an action figure, like in, in the box toy of Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, that's been signed by Rene Abagenois. Really? Actor that played Odo, <laughs> who is dead. So, oh, he died? Yeah, he died like a couple years ago. Oh, but anyway, like that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I was like, oh, that's ten, ten bucks. <laughs> Sweet, all right, sure. One of my friends who was there grabbed uh, a copy of, I think, the first issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths, signed by George Perez. And again, like, none of this was was marked. Like, the people that were running this didn't, didn't, like, go through and be like, oh, that one's signed. So we were just kind of looking at it, and he was like, this one's autographed. Like, what does that say? And I'm, like, looking at it. I was like, well, it's either Marv Wolfman or George Perez, so let's look up their, their autographs online. We looked him up, like, yeah, it's definitely Perez, the way he does the Z at the end. That's, that's him. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. So, is this estate sale still going on? Uh, it could be. <laughs> it's over by URM. And there was a ton of stuff. I, I collect the the DC Universe Classics toys from like 10 years ago. And he had a bunch of those, but it's like he had four Martian Manhunters, three Mary Marvels, and like things like that. So, it was one of like, there was a lot there, but nothing that I really needed or wanted in terms of action figures. But the comics were cool. And I, again, I could have dug through the comics for hours because there were so many there. But I was like, I, I'm not even going to touch those. <laughs> I'd be here all goddamn day. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to make an event of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, oh, I also got the Graphic Audio. I think I mentioned them before. Graphic Audio does the audio dramas that I listen to. They do a lot that are based on comics. And I found uh, he had one of the Flash audio dramas there. And so I grabbed it, I took it up to pay for it, and the lady scanned it, and she's like, okay, that's one video game. I was like, actually, that's a CD. I don't, I don't know if that matters, but just so you know, it's a CD. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, instead of $3, you'll pay a dollar for it. But that goes for like $50 on eBay because it's out of print, and it's just really fucking hard to find now. Wow. So like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll pay a dollar, whatever. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they did not know what they had, did they? Well, I don't know. I think they did. I think it's just, it's a space thing. They're just trying to get rid of shit. Um, I don't think he had any family, so it's not like anyone's getting shafted by it. They're just trying to get rid of this stuff because I think his friend, actually, is the one who contacted this uh, uh, estate firm or whatever just to go through it. And I'm sure there were some probably considerably more valuable things that were... uh, Put online or whatever. It's kind of like when um, White Elephant went out of business here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had their big sale, but then they uh, set aside their really expensive stuff for an online auction. That's why I don't own a USS flag right now. <laughs> it's a giant G.I. Joe toy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, that's why Colby's got issues. I'll put the other ones for next week because I got some other cool stuff a few weeks ago. And, I don't know, do you have anything else to talk about? Any other news? 
Oh, I feel like there was something related to Sandman, but then I didn't write it down and I forgot. So, you know, keeping uh, abreast of, of uh, the latest. Apparently there's going to be an announcement about the second season of the audio drama soon. Uh, Gaiman just commented about that on Twitter the other day. There's going to be an announcement soon about maybe a release date. Because just the other day was the one-year anniversary of the first season of the audio drama. Okay, so within the next few months, possibly? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, Gaiman just said he was going to have an announcement about it. And who knows? I don't know what that announcement means. I don't know if it's a cast announcement or release date announcement or it's done, here you go. You know, who knows? <laughs> Oh, that's that's what it was. Yeah, um, a couple days ago, this online publication was uh, questioning whether Sandman will come out this year as opposed to next year. We've already talked about this. Did, but yeah. you know, because on on Netflix it says twenty twenty two. Yes, but the buzz online is that it might be this year. But Netflix says it's not. <laughs> come on, give me this hope. Give me this hope. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. <laughs> Let me dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can, but uh, Netflix says it's 2022. <laughs> well, Netflix is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's been a long week, man. Just let me let me have that fantasy. Um, but no, that's all I got. Just hopes and dreams. All right, well, then I guess we will go into the actual thing, fucking whatever, that we're talking about today. <laughs> I'm kind of hungover. Oh, well, do tell. I just drank a lot last night. <laughs> That's the story. <laughs> I was thinking maybe there were some crazy and, drunk antidotes no. to go with it. And by a lot, I mean, since I've, dr- I've drank so little in the pandemic, by a lot it was, I think, two drinks? <laughs> <laughs> you drank the first one and huffed the second one and you were yeah, gone? <laughs> I drank, so I was, I was back here by 10 o'clock eating chicken and just being like, I gotta get to bed. <laughs> I feel like hell. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad you had fun last night. That's my problem drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know, you rallied today. That's what matters. Yeah. I think you should do the book report. Uh, yeah, okay. We're doing Books of Magic. Uh, so I'm going to throw a wrench into everything because I did not read Books of Magic by Neil Gaiman. I read Books of Magic, The Invitation by Carla Jablonski. You mixing it up. So I, I this is this is the prose adaptation of the miniseries. Okay. That's what I read. Because it's been sitting on my shelf forever, and I was like, fuck it, I might as well just read this. Because I read the comic book just what a year ago for my year blazer. So uh, I read this instead, and it's basically the same story. But yeah, about little uh so have you ever read Harry Potter? <laughs> I seem to have heard of that. Yes. Imagine imagine Harry Potter, but way better and earlier. <laughs> like by like seven years. This beat Harry Potter significantly. It did. And nobody cared. Well, not nobody cared. Comic book fans f- cared. But this is no by no means the cultural phenomenon that Harry Potter has become. And, uh, yeah, I blame idiot, idiot children is what I <laughs> blame for that. Idiot children. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's one of those things that Warner Brothers, like, threw their cart behind the right horse or something. Hey, guess what Warner Brothers owns? DC Comics. (laughs) DC Comics. (laughs) And (laughs) just the film rights for Harry Potter. (laughs) So from a capitalist business standpoint, that was a good idea. But, I mean, like you said, the similarities are striking, really. Yeah. 
yeah, Books of Magic story about a little British kid who finds out that he has magic and gets taught magic by magic people in magic worlds. Mm-hmm. That, that's about it. <laughs> so, but the original miniseries that we're reading is by Neil Gaiman. The character of Tim Tim Hunter was created by Gaiman and John Bolton, and uh, the remaining. So, John Bolton did the art for the first issue, and then the remaining issues were done by different artists. Like each each issue has a different artist. And it's only a four-issue story. But um, the prose adaptation that I read, called The Invitation, uh, has a, an introduction by Gaiman where he talks about his creation of Timothy Hunter. When I was still a teenager, only a few years older than Tim Hunter is in the book you are holding, I decided it was time to write my first novel. It was going to be called Wild Magic, and it was to be set in a minor British public school which is to say a private school, (laughs) like the ones from which I had so recently escaped only a minor British public school that taught magic. So what's funny is his original version was even more like Harry Potter, probably before J.K. Rowling was even fucking born. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Since he was uh, like a high schooler then. Uh, It had a young hero named Richard Grenville and a pair of wonderful villains who called themselves Mr. Croup and Mr. Vandemar. (laughs) <laughs> it was going to be a mixture of Ursula K. Le Guin's uh, A Wizard of Earthsea and T.H. White's The Sword and the Stone. And, well, me, I suppose. <laughs> that was the plan. It seemed to me that learning about magic was the perfect story, and I was sure I could really write convincingly about school. I wrote about five pages of the book before I realized that, that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and I stopped. <laughs> Later, I learned that most books are actually written by people who have no idea what they're doing. They just go ahead to finish writing the book anyway. I wish I'd known that then. <laughs> Years passed, I got married, had children of my own, and learned how to finish writing things I'd started. Then one day in 1988, the telephone rang. It was an editor in America named Karen Berger. I had recently started writing a monthly comic called The Sandman, which Karen was editing, although no issues had yet been published. Karen had noticed that I combined the sort of train-spotterish knowledge of minor and arcane DC Comics characters with a bizarre facility for organizing them into something more or less coherent. And also, she had an idea. Would you write a comic, she asked, that would be a history of magic in the DC comic universe, covering the past and the present and the future, sort of a who's who but with a story? We would call it the Books of Magic. I said, no thank you. (laughs) I pointed out to her that it was a silly idea. Who's who and a a history and a travel guide that was also a story? Quite a ridiculous idea, I said. And she apologized for having suggested it. I went to bed that night and hovered on the edge of sleep, musing about Karen's call. What a ridiculous idea it was. I mean, a story that would go from the beginning of time to the end of time and have someone meet all these strange people and learn about magic. Perhaps it wasn't so ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Then I sighed, certain that if I let myself sleep, it would all be gone in the morning. I climbed out of bed, crept through the house, back to my office, trying not to wake anyone in my hurry, and started scribbling down ideas. A boy, yes, there had to be a boy. Someone smart and funny, something of an outsider, who would learn that he had the potential to be the greatest magician in the world... Uh, more po- po- excuse me, more powerful than Merlin. Four guides to take him through the past, the present, other worlds, and the future, serving the same function as the ghosts who accompany Ebenezer Scrooge. I thought for a moment about calling him Richard Grenville, after the hero of the book I'd never written, but he seemed rather too heroic. 
The original Sir Richard Granville was a sea captain, adventurer, and explorer, after all. So I called him Tim, possibly because of the Monty Python team that showed that Tim was an unlikely name for an enchanter. <laughs> or with faint memories of the hero of Margaret Story's magical children's novel, Timothy and Two Witches. I thought perhaps his last name would be Seekings, as it was in the first outline I sent to Karen. A faint tribute to John Mans uh, Macefield's haunting tale of magic and smugglers, the Midnight Folk. But Karen felt that this was a bit literal, so he became, in, other, in one stroke of the pen, Tim Hunter. And as Tim Hunter, he sat up, blinked, wiped his glasses on his t-shirt, and set off into the world. I never actually got to use the minor British public school that taught only magic in a story, and I suppose I never will. <laughs> But I was very pleased when Mr. Croup and Mr. Vandermar finally showed up in a story about life under London called Neverwhere. John Bolton, the first artist to draw Tim, had his, a son named James, who was just the right age, and he became John's model for Tim, tussle-haired and bespectacled. And in 1990, the first four volumes of comics became the first books of magic graphic novel were published. Soon enough, Tim had a monthly series of comics chronicling his adventures, misadventures, and the slow learning process he was to undergo, as initially chronicled by author John Nay Reber, who gave Tim a number of things, most importantly, Molly. Then he talks about <laughs> that last little chunk there is like, oh, also this was adapted into a book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he brought up Molly in that. Molly is a character who's not in the original Books of Magic, but she is in this. Yeah, okay. The, the novel. Mm -hmm. She uh, shows up at the very beginning, like when it shows Tim just fucking around before the magicians meet him, before the wizards take him away, it shows him at school chatting with Molly, and he's supposed to go over to her house after school, which is why he's riding a skateboard when they snatch him. Okay, all right. So now, didn't you say in a prior episode that these books are out of print? Yes. So I originally only had a couple issues of that, or issues. I only had a couple of the books. Because uh, there's six volumes... They were pretty easy to find on Amazon. Like, they're like $3 each. Uh, so when I started reading this one, I just went ahead and got the rest. All except for this one. <laughs> Volume 5, Lost Places. This one was like 40 fucking dollars. Whoa! And then all the others were like $2, $3, whatever. So that's why it's in plastic and in really good shape. And all the others are just battered. <laughs> Alright then, yeah. Why is that one so expensive? I don't know. No idea. First and only printing? Apparently, well, yeah, I'm sure they only did one printing of each of these, but uh, it's just funny to me that these are very clearly made to cash in on Harry Potter <laughs> when this came fucking first. <laughs> it's just weird, like, uh, YA magic kid novels, fucking, just take this comic we've already got and adapt it. <laughs> yeah, jump on that gravy train. And I doubt these did very well. I mean... I, I didn't know, I mean... I read the comic, like, two comics, I think, um, the first two comics long ago when I was in my early 20s or something like that, maybe still in high school, um, and I promptly forgot them, which I'm sorry I did because they're really good, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't even think about it until we were talking about it and yeah. you mentioned it. So let's go through it book by book. So in the beginning, uh... Little sprat Tim Hunter's out having fun, and uh, the four the four magicians are gonna guide him or talking, and th so those are the Phantom Stranger, John Constantine, uh, 
Dr. Occult, and Mr. E. And those are all four characters that have already been in DC Comics. Um, obviously, Constantine was an Hellblazer. Uh, Phantom Stranger's been around for years as a kind of the... He was like one of the... I don't know. His uh, um, history is complicated <laughs> because he's so old he doesn't even remember who he was. And then uh, Mr. E was like an old like werewolf hunter or something in this comic called some, like Stories of the Haunted House or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Occult has been a character for, for years. Uh, I think in the 40s he was called the Ghost Breaker. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I think that's mentioned somewhere in the comic. A really weird... I, I think that was him. Maybe it was... Who am I, am I thinking of him? One second. The Ghost Detective. Ghost Breaker was Dr. Thirteen. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, because Doc, Dr. 13 shows up and gives John and uh, Tim a ride. T- Terry, is that it? Yeah, yeah. the ghost breaker. There he is. Yeah, Terrence 13. Uh, anyway, so in the first volume, after they meet Tim, they uh, give him the option to learn about magic, turn his yo-yo into an owl named Yo-Yo, which, again, he's got a little, little pet owl. <laughs> yeah. It's a little familiar. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure J.K. Rowling had never even seen this comic before. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? But anyway, the, the first person, uh, what's his name? Uh, Phantom Stranger. Yes. Uh, takes Tim on the first part of his tour of magic into the past. And the comic book goes way more in-depth with this than in the novel. Oh, yeah? In the novel, they go back and talk to Merlin... And he's like, oh, I'm fucking learning magic. <laughs> and then they see the destruction of Atlantis. And then they're like, all right, well, let's get back. <laughs> Whereas in the comic, he goes and sees, like, uh, Dr. Fate, Zatanna's father, Zatara. What was it? There's that one, like, the knight under the hill or whatever he's called. That's um, in Fairy. fairy oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was in here. All right, whatever. It's not, that's not in the, the, the novel either, so... <laughs> Yeah, he basically takes him through all these different points in history. Oh, history, say that loosely. Or all these different cultures of magic yeah. and moments. The, the that, history of magic. Yeah, really. history of magic, yeah. And that right there, the that is, oh, yeah. I love that. I love that page. Well, describe it. I can't see it. <laughs> you guys are missing out. No, um, the When he takes him to see basically the, the fall of Lucifer yeah. and the um, angels getting kicked out of heaven. And it's just a gorgeous page of these poor angels falling to earth. That's actually, that's in the comic too. Or I mean, in the novel, they uh, see that and then they move forward from there. But there's so much in the comic that, that gets just like wiped away in the novel. Cause they got to keep things moving, I guess. But um, this, that to me is kind of a testament of the power of visual storytelling. Because you can show like this, <laughs> right? And uh, instead of spending a page describing what that guy looks like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be uh, very economical with your words when you're writing prose. Whereas you can just show something in here. There's a section with Merlin. I enjoyed the novel, but I, I mean, the comic book is just way better. There's just it, yeah, it's just so rich yeah, in terms of storytelling. So yeah, all you people who say that you don't read comics because you can't imagine it in your head, well, yeah, you probably can't imagine this. This looks a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> imagine Sargon the Sorcerer without seeing him. You fucking idiot. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I will, I'll never get over that. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode where I tear into people who 
don't understand the difference between storytelling mediums. <laughs> it was a good one. We had a nice discussion. Okay. I don't know about nice, but it was a discussion. <laughs> I was very not nice in it. <laughs> it was a compelling discussion, let's put it that way. So, do you have a favorite of these four books, of these four different adventures that Tim goes on? I don't know. I mean, the nerd in me, just because I'm a fan, always likes the second volume because of John Constantine. But I, it's probably not really my favorite. I Actually, the second volume, since we're going into that now, second issue, whatever the fuck it's called. Oh, that's not in there either. Um, anyway, the, the second issue. So after seeing the past of magic, John Constantine takes uh, Tim to the present of magic. And it's interesting to me how romanticized America is in this. Because it's kind of like it's a, a British point of view. So America is this like amazing, great place where there's all these crazy people. And realistically, in the DC universe, that's how it is. Like, everything fucking happens in America because it's an American-published comic, and that's where all the writers are from, you know? So it wasn't until much later that the rest of the world was basically even acknowledged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's interesting that it, it has that kind of point of view of uh, America being so, so interesting and new and crazy. And... Like, you know, they, they don't spend any time talking about magic in England. I mean, they do, they do in the past issue, but not in the present. So it's almost like that magic has shifted. But so, what, he first starts and goes and talks to Madame Xanadu? Yes. And so that's in the book. But then this whole section with the Spectre is not in the book. Part with Dr. Fate is not in the book. The section with Dead Man is, but it's not explained at all. Hmm. It's just like Dead Man stops the... The killer, and then he's like, hey, have a good one, kid. And then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> On his merry way. Yeah. Yeah. Played a very prominent role in the books. One of my big issues with this... One of my big issues with this issue... One of my problems with this issue is uh, a couple of times, like, the action just isn't very clear. Like, John crashes his car, and then they're fine. Right, And right. it's not, like... I don't know. There's a, there's a weird jump there that's not really explained. And then it's like, it's fucking magic. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then John just, like, pieces out in the narrative. He's like, oh, I got some other shit to do. And then it's suggested that he had this, like, giant war with the other magicians. Right. Like, oh, we went to Calcutta and fucking, man, we destroyed the cold flame. Who's, like, the guys that are trying to kill Tim. Like, fucking show that! <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> Where's that serious? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like the cold flame is built up as being this evil organization that's just trying to kill Tim because they don't want him to get too powerful and oppose them. And it really bummed me out when they didn't show that. So, you know, whatever. It would have been nice if they actually had made like a, maybe a four side issues that address that. Yeah, you know, they could have. They, uh, so the little team of magicians are nicknamed the, the Trenchcoat Brigade. By Constantine. So he says that, like, derisively. The way it's brought up, it's just like he's saying it offhand. Well, that's what that team has become known as now, like, canonically. Mm -hmm. They got their own spinoff series called the Trenchcoat Brigade, which was fucking terrible. Oh, no. It was fucking god-awful. <laughs> it was mostly about John's drunk ancestor. Oh. And, like, I, when I first saw that they were doing it, like, oh, that would be cool. It could fill in the gaps of this story. But no, it didn't. <laughs> at all. Um... But in the, in the novel, Zatanna refers to them as the Trenchcoat Brigade. 
when Tim is staying with him, she's like, oh, so John's hanging out with the Trenchco Brigade again, huh? I'm like, wait, she wouldn't fucking know that. Like, he just <laughs> thought that name up. God damn it. And no, none of the other people on that team call themselves that. Yeah. It's literally just a one-off joke that John has. And I don't know. It, that bugs me to see that be, like, the official team name. <laughs> well, I, yeah. It was, it's funnier coming out of Constantine's mouth. But no, I really liked that issue. I thought it was, it, it, it's got his humor in it. It's funny. Yeah. And I, I just, I wish that there was just a little more cohesion in the overall story of that issue. Because I feel like there's so much to do mm-hmm. in terms of present day DC magic that uh, if you don't do it all, then you're not doing any of it, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I suppose. And so it just feels rushed because you've got that and you've got the whole Black Flame thing or Cold Flame uh, and then you've got, like, the introduction to Zatanna, the whole party with all of her magic user friends, and then they betray them, and then John shows up. and Like, that could be its own issue there. The whole thing with the Cold Flame could be its own issue. The whole thing of just traveling around America could be its own issue. So there's just so much in that one issue that it feels really cramped. Well, and maybe that's, that's a good point. I mean, because all the issues, they take Timothy through, you know, um, past, present, future, and whatnot, and it feels like maybe they, not that they did a horrible job, but maybe they were just having a harder time figuring out how, what to do, how to show magic in the present, and how that, you know, has Im- impacts people's yeah. lives. Well, I think it's, I, again, I, I think it's just a result of having too much to work with. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a ton of magical characters and settings in the DC universe, so that's just why that issue is cramped. And it's not necessarily game breaking or whatever like it's not it doesn't ruin the series it's just that one issue has a flow that doesn't quite fit the others stutters just a little bit and i think that one that one plays more into the immediate threat that tim's under as opposed to the knowledge he's supposed to be learning right because like when he's with Zatanna, like she's like here have some breakfast i don't know like (laughs) (laughs) let's go to a party i guess like Hey, hey, kid, uh, here's a room full of supervillains that probably want to kill you. Let's go hang out with them. Right. Come on, Z. You're fucking smarter than that. Bad babysitter. You used to be on the Justice League, for God's sake. Fucking idiot. You know these things. (laughs) There's um, several moments of humor, though, that I really did appreciate in there, like when John has to drive. Yeah. And he asks Timothy, hey, can you drive? And he's like, I'm I'm 12. No. And he's like, oh, okay. Um... (laughs) And you probably noticed this, but there are several times on the plane, like when they're getting off the plane and getting on the plane, that John comes back um, and he's got like handprint marks on his face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because there's, it's, it's, it's played very subtly, but the idea that he's going off to flirt with the stewardesses and like maybe some of them um, rejected his advances. Yeah. And it's never brought up in the book, like, you know, Timothy never says, like, what happened to your face? He just comes back with, like, these handprint marks on his face, and, like, you can you can guess what happened. <laughs> well, and some of the traveling bugged me, too, because when John's like, oh, yeah, you just fucking you go up there, and, you know, it's like, he basically explains it like it's teleporting. Right, right. But, like, in the Hellblazer comic, that's not how it is. <laughs> right. Like, whenever he travels, he actually has to fucking buy a ticket and get on the plane, <laughs> right, and that was one inconsistency. Is like because they get there through, like you said, it almost seems like teleportation. But yet on the way back, he asks um, Zaltara, like, "Hey, do you think you can get us a passport?" You know, and she has to magically conjure one. Zatanna. Zatanna, excuse yeah. me, I'm sorry. 
But yeah, anyway, it's like little things like that that just don't really fit with the larger continuity. But that is an interesting idea. And so, like, it would have been cool to maybe see that explored in other Hellblazer comics or whatever, but whatever. It is what it is. There you go. And then, yeah, I guess it... Oh, uh, at the end here, where is he? Doctor... Doctor? Baron. Baron Winters is in this scene. Where is he? There's Tanarak. Is that him? No. Uh, there's oh. Tanarak. That might be him. But anyway, the, the character was Jasper from the Constantine TV show. <laughs> I think that's him. Because the other guy is Tanarak, the, the dude in white. They look very similar. I thought um, Baron Winter was, they try to go to his house first for sanctuary. Oh, and he's basically I... like, you're interrupting my dinner, you asshole. Am I wrong? There oh, yeah, there he is. Sorry. I was way off. Because this is not in the novel. No? <laughs> yeah. Well, did they... Does, what does the novel do? Does it just go straight from assassination attempt to... To going to Zatanna's. Oh. Yeah, okay, so that's the 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 house from uh, the Constantine TV show. Yeah, okay, okay. Huh, that's funny, I totally forgot that he was in there. I thought he was in the party scene at the end. I almost thought he was, because he looks like, you know... Another... You're a real Baron? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's got goatees in this, so it's hard to keep... They, look, they all have goatees, and they all look uh, sinister, so... <laughs> Dark hair, yeah. yeah. Hard to tell the bad guys' parts. But anyway, so yeah, I like. I want to say that the second issue is my favorite, but it's really not. I think probably the third issue is. I really like the whole traveling the books of fairy or the books of fairy. It's a comic book. That's a different thing. Uh, <laughs> the realms of fairy. Baba Yaga. It is a really, really English hard. It is a really well done story. I probably didn't like the art as much as the other ones, but it's still good. Uh, Charles Vess? Really? I mean, it's not bad. It's just, um... He did the art for Stardust. Which I haven't read yet. And, um, a lot of stuff. Did some Sandman. That, uh, one issue of Sandman. Uh, the one about Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, okay. He did the art for that issue. Which is why he, probably why he did this, because of Titania and Oberon and all that. But, uh, so this is another one that's way slimmed down in the novel. <laughs> they have the the market, like the magic market, and Baba Yaga, and then Titania, and that's it. So he doesn't go to uh, Scartaris here and see uh, the warlord, Travis Morgan, the warlord. Have you ever heard of that comic? I have not, no. Uh, these, these are all basically DC comics. And then uh, he doesn't see... Uh, What's his name? Doctor, wait, Doctor Knight? Is it, no, what is his name? Um, Something Knight. Or is this, this, that's the Sword of Knight. Never mind. We went over Jim, this before. Jim Rook. That's Jim yeah, Rook. Yeah, Jim Rook. What is his name, though? What's his superhero name? Nightmaster. Ah, I knew yeah. it was Knight something. But the Sword <laughs> of Knight is in an episode of Constantine also. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then they go to the Gem World, which actually got its own uh, animated series, like a short animated series. Amethyst of Gemworld. Any good? That was fine. Uh, and then they actually go to The Dreaming. Yes. Cain and Abel and Sandman shows up. Oh, and they go to Hell too. There's a little Etrigan. None of this is in the book. I really was hoping to see the, these scenes. Because these are some of my favorites. Just going through the crazy realms of DC. Well, I feel like... Well, what do they do in the books? I feel like that would make it super short. Uh... It is pretty short, but um, she gives him the key, and then he, like, opens up some of these doors, 
and just kind of looks at them. I'm like, oh, there was a weird wasteland. There was fucking vines. There's whatever. And that's a bit like, it's like a sentence each. Oh. So who knows? Maybe he does go to the dreaming. It's just not described at all. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. And I mean, the, the storyline is basically the same where he gets tricked by Titania and then he gives her the mundane egg and the escape from Baba Yaga. That's probably where they spent the most time. That was a fun sequence. I mean, yeah. probably one of the more riveting in the book. I like um, uh, after um, Rose, Doctor also Occult Doctor Occult, Rose, yeah. yep, um, saves Tim from Baba Yaga, and um, he's like, "Oh, you know, you were bluffing, weren't you?" And she's basically yeah. like, "Nope, would have destroyed her. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> would have killed her dead." Uh, also, the the section with this big giant dude is not in there, like the riddle game. Oh, oh, this is the uh, King Under the Hill. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there's so much in this that's like. Myth and folklore mixed with DC history and stuff. It's like impossible to determine what is, uh, what's like an actual old ancient tale and what's just comic book stuff. Right, right. <laughs> and I love the way Gaiman blends all that together. It's the same with in Sandman. Like he does the same thing in Sandman. And it is pretty seamless. Yeah. The nice thing about it, like we've discussed this before, is that um, I recognize some of the DC characters, but not all of them. But the ones I didn't recognize, I was like, it's still fun. It's still yeah. fine. And then the last issue, with art by Paul Johnson, has Tim and Mr. E going into the future of magic, and then the future of the universe, all the way up to the end of the universe. What the fuck is this guy? That's, uh, he thinks that's, that's John. Oh, okay. Because later when he gets back, he's like, you were there too. And John's like, what? Oh, yeah, a little trickster dude, yeah. Um, it's revealed that Mr. E is not all that he's cracked up to be. He's actually crazy and evil. The crazy evil guy in the beginning turned out to be crazy and evil. Who would have thought? Because I'm like, we can't trust this guy. Like, I don't know, do you know how to get to the end of the universe? Because <laughs> he does, so... We're just going to let this impressionable young child go off with him alone, literally to any point in the future that, that can be imagined. Right. And I remember in the, in the novel, I'm not sure if it's, I can't remember if it plays the same way, but they're all standing around, like, waiting for them to come back. And John's like, they should have been back by now. And Phantom Stranger's like, no, it's fine. I can still detect them. Like, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of talk through why it's okay. Then John's like, you know, Mr. E's crazy. He's like, yeah, well, and he basically says that. Like, well, I don't know how to travel into the future. And he does. So that's why he's here. And then, like, there's a pause. And then Dr. Occult goes, they should have been back by now, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, it cuts back later. And Phantom Stranger's finally like, I can't detect them anymore. They're way further into the future than they should have been. Uh, maybe maybe this wasn't a good idea. <laughs> John's like, oh, you fucking think? You got the idea? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> you sent the child off with a religious zealot? <laughs> yeah. And they send Yo-Yo into the future to find him. Yo-Yo uh, sacrifices his feathery little life to save Tim. Uh-huh. And then, oh yeah, and then there's the, the whole thing about death. So as they're standing at the end of the universe, Destiny from the Endless arrives... And you know, talking about how he's finally going to be able to close his book. You know, since he has the book of the destiny of the universe, basically. And then death shows up to kill him, and then the end of the universe. And uh, that scene is cool and everything, and you know, everyone loves seeing the endless. Uh, but what's more, most interesting to me about this is because of that scene, 
you know that canonically, Doctor Who is a part of the DC universe. How do you figure? That scene is used in an, uh, a Doctor Who spinoff novel. Really? A section of Paul Cornell's Doctor Who novel, Happy Endings, features death in a cameo, quoting her dialogue from the original Books of Magic miniseries. The section was written by author Neil Penswick as part of a chapter written in tandem with the authors of the previous novels. So death shows up in Doctor Who, again, reciting, like, words from Books of Magic. So uh, not only is Books of Magic, but that means all of Vertigo is now in, in canon with Doctor Who. So we could pick any Doctor Who show and watch it we could. for Vertigo voices. We could. <laughs> the world just broadens. Yeah, exactly. It all comes back to Vertigo. It does. It does. You're welcome, Mr. Potter. So I really like uh, Mr. E's fate. So, you know, death is like, you know, neither of you die here. Like, I've, I've seen your deaths. You're way past that. You don't die here. He's like, no, I gotta kill him. She's like, well, you can't. Um, he dies, you know, long ago, so do you. And she uh, takes his power from him, kind of. Like, well, limits it, I guess. And she's like, I'll send Tim home, but you have to go home the hard way. Right. <laughs> Just be like walk back through the millennia to his time. <laughs> and that is actually like that's not the end of that. That's actually elaborated on. Mm-hmm. There's a comic miniseries from I think the next year called Mr. E that uh follows his path back to uh, reality, back to Tim. Yes, I I heard of it. Haven't read yeah. it. I actually just read it 2 days ago. Um after I finished this, uh it's fine (laughs) it's an interesting story because it like uh keeps going with the story obviously you see mr e's backstory about how his father scooped out his eyes for looking at porn and uh, then it's in i think the third issue it's elaborated on even more that he was possibly molested by his dad and that maybe his dad wasn't the uh the great religious leader that he thought he was (laughs) and uh, all this and then kind of ends with him uh being more at peace with himself and Tim Hunter and all that. Like, he's no longer trying to kill him. Although he does go he does go back in time and kill an older version of Tim. And there's a scene where he, uh, he goes back and finds Tim, like, doing this incantation to create the cold flame again. After John and the other wizards destroyed the cold flame, Tim's recreating them. And Mr. E's like, oh, you can't do that! Ha! And, like, stabs him. And then Tim falls down dying. He's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And he's like, I'm stopping you from, from recreating the cold flame. Like, they're evil. You can't do that. And he's like, I was creating them so that I could end them once and for all. Like, they're going to come back no matter what. I was, going, I was going to recreate the organization and the cold flame and keep it contained so they couldn't spread. And he's like, and now I'm and falls down dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, asshole. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, his character was sketchy from the start. Yeah. When we first meet the four, the trench coat brigade, like right off the bat, he's like, "Let's just kill him." Let's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just kill him. Uh, that actually reminds me. I forgot to mention the the whole future scene of Tim as the evil magician, yes. who's destroying everything, and uh, Constantine's laying there dying in the gutter. He's like, "We should we should have listened to E. We should have just killed you." <laughs> it's just like what? <laughs> but uh, when he sees that that future is uh, the opening scene of the the new Hellblazer series oh, okay. that was 
part of the Sandman universe. It was originally supposed to, supposed to be Vertigo, but it was released under the Black Label. But uh, that opening scene is like John and Chaz driving Chaz's what's it called? Taxi? Yeah, taxi towards Tim as he's like flying in the air. John's like, "Look, I got this magical uh, device. It's the only thing that's going to be able to stop Tim." He's like, "Listen, Chaz, I need you to drop me off here so I can get it going, and then I'm going to like put a." protective spell around you and he needed to drive into Tim. And he's like, you got it, John. And he drives off and John's like, he's going to fucking die. Like, there's no, there's nothing I can do to stop this. So uh, I just figured he can have a quick death. That'll be easier for him. And then when Chaz's uh, car explodes, his license plate flies off and it hits John in the side and he falls into the gutter and like pulls it out. And as he's sitting there bleeding, the young Tim walks up to him and he's like, oh, I should have listened to Mr. E in the beginning. I should have fucking killed you back then. No. <laughs> so it's like that, that whole scene from books of magic is redone in the new, uh, Hellblazer series. And then as he's laying there dying, like right before he dies, then like a portal opens up and an old man, Constantine comes out and he's like, I, I, I need your help on something. So get up. Come on. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> Time to rally. <laughs> And then that, that scene, then that dying Constantine sees a multiverse full of Constantines. And one of them is the, the Keanu Reeves Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a good sense of humor about yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's just funny how, how much this book is still... Because that was like a year and a half ago that that came out. So this original Books of Magic is still uh, reverberating through the DC universe. Right, right. And it is just... If you like fantasy, if you appreciate a good adventure, then yeah, read it. Is that scene in the end? I'm curious if this is the same in the, the book or the novelization in the original comic. Yeah, it's there. Okay. Tim gets back from the future. They save him. I'm like, oh, so do you really want to do magic? The choice is yours. And he's like, no, I don't want to do magic. Magic's fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, they're like, all right, we'll see you later. And he's like, what? I didn't mean it. <laughs> Change my mind. And then it shows all of them sitting around. And uh, John's like, well, it sucks that he didn't take the path, blah, blah, blah. And Phantom Stranger's like, oh, yeah, no, he, he already did. Like, he said yes when we first asked him if he wanted to go to the past and the future and all that. And that's the yes that mattered. <laughs> and then John's like, you fucking lied to him. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Fucking Liar. I didn't, I didn't realize that you were one to judge. <laughs> right. Yeah, manipulated the hell yeah. out of him. And then it was a great ending of uh, Tim going back home and his dad, like, not, not knowing where he's just like, oh, oh, back from school, son? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, dad. He's, <laughs> <laughs> like, been in San Francisco in yeah. America and came back again. <laughs> and then he uh, recreates Yo-Yo with his magic power. Ends with him saying, magic! <laughs> <laughs> He's very excited. <laughs> As you would be. <laughs> right? Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fun uh, fun little ending and like the promise of more to come. And from what I've heard, they didn't really have a plan for like, at least initially, for more stories of Tim. Oh. Was, like, they created him like, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> and then he, came, he comes back in that Mr. E story, but that's much more focused on E than him. And then a couple years later, uh, with the Children's Crusade spinoff, or crossover rather, they uh, brought them all back. So that's another thing. After reading Mr. E, I finally decided to bite the bullet and read Children's Crusade. Uh So I read the first issue, which these are all double-sized issues. First issue's fine. It's written by Gaiman. Really fucking long, though. Second issue is the Black Orchid one which is exhausting. (laughs) Because 
all of these Vertigo books at the time had completely different creative teams and like they're just going in different directions. So to try to make them all line up takes a lot of work. So the first probably 10 pages of this is literally uh, what Susie and what's the other Black Orchid's name? Oh, um, Lyndon. Her last name's Lyndon. Um, ah, I want to say Rachel, but it's not. It doesn't matter. The old one is talking to the young one, and the young one's like, I can't remember anything. And the old one goes, well, just like think back on your life and tell me what your first memory is. And so then the next 10 pages are just her expositioning the history of these two characters. First we did this. Then we did this. Then this guy came. Because it's all to get this new readers up to speed so that then you can get into the Children's Crusade story. And then the Children's Crusade aspect of it is like really weird because it goes back and forth between them chit-chatting and then her meeting this little boy and like there's just it's like a hard cut into them chit-chatting into her playing with this little boy I can take you into free country ah. and then it ends and there's still like 15 pages left okay and the rest of it is like a new story about about uh, Black Orchid but that doesn't have any bearing on this so I was like well I'm not fucking reading that right now <laughs> go back to it eventually. But that's as far as I'm into it so far. I can understand, like, so the idea behind it is interesting and noble, <laughs> but the execution, I understand why it was not the success that they thought it would be. And I understand why it was rewritten, because the middle or the middle chunks of it are just really weird. But my favorite part of it, it I think you'll like this, at the end of the first issue, there's an, an editorial by Lou Stathis, who says, crossovers, I hate them. And I think we saw, we read that when we were reading his obituary. Yeah. His quote. His crossovers, I hate them. As a reader, they always struck me as a crass manipulation of continuity-hooked juveniles. The equivalent of telling some hapless junkie that to get his next high, he'll have to cop his total, or he'll have to cop this totally different but equally addictive drug. And as an editor, I felt they just fueled a nightmare of inconsistency and undertaking such a trial was about as smart as inviting some drooling vampire into your bedroom for a midnight snack. So, of course, what gets dumped into my lap the minute I arrive here at Vertigo Central, eager to take up my new duties as an editor of a not-at-all-crass not adult comics? Yep, you guessed it, a crossover. <laughs> the Children's Crusade. Oh, excuse me, make that a Vertigo event, as using the word crossover around here is strictly verboten. <laughs> Sassy, Lou. <laughs> it goes on to then explain by why, like, well, I mean, crossovers suck, and every time he uses the word event in it, he puts it in quotes. Like, <laughs> like all, the, all of these crossovers and events <laughs> suck, but hey, you know, this one's not about money. We literally thought we had a good story to tell, so if you enjoy it, good. <laughs> I love him. I just love how he spends the first chunk of that explaining why he hates this. <laughs> <laughs> Not one to mince words, was he? Oh, so Children's Crusade, maybe? We'll see. I'm only a couple issues in. I'm planning on trying to get through it all and then reading Free Country, the graphic novel version, immediately afterward mm -hmm. to try to see if there's any redeeming thing there because <laughs> free country takes the first issue and the second issue keeps those the same and then the middle chunk all the annuals is completely rewritten so i'm curious to see what happens there and then maybe after that i'll read the children's crusade uh -huh. the books of magic novel you have all your bases covered yeah there, apparently and that's way too much time i'll get to those eventually but um 
so yeah, I take it this is a... What is this for you? It's a vertigo. It's... I mean, this is... If nothing else, it's a very important book. Um, it's been talked about being adapted into a movie, like, forever. And that would be cool, but it would definitely have to be changed to give it more of a a narrative push instead of being a guidebook. Right. But uh, as a comic fan, I've always loved DC's mystic side. And it's, it's really cool to see that all in one. Like, oh, here's fucking Dr. Fate. Here's the Spectre. Here's Zatanna. Here's Sargon the Sorcerer. All these characters that have been around for decades and to talk about their history and their life and their failures and all that. It's very interesting. And then, again, the other realms, like Fairy and the Dreaming and all that. See all of that in one little miniseries is really cool. It is a good adventure. There, I think it was in the first one, in the, in the first book. Uh, I think it's The Stranger, either The Stranger or Doctor Occult. But uh, he says, uh, oh, I have it here somewhere. Oh, science is a way of talking about the universe in words that bind it to a common reality. Magic is a method of talking to the universe in words that it cannot ignore. The two are rarely compatible. And I really appreciate that because I feel like the idea that science is magic has totally wormed its way into the popular narrative. Because, again, uh, fans are... We live in the age of the internet and people are so fucking nitpicky and have all these bad faith criticisms about, oh, how can so-and-so do that? And so I feel like a lot of creators have just fallen back on the idea that, oh, you know, science and magic are really the same thing. Science is just another name for magic, which it worked fine the first time I heard that. I was like, okay, it's just a narrative device to drive it forward. Um, But I really appreciate the fact that here Neil Gaiman was like, no, these are two very separate things. Well, but he's saying the same thing, though. He's saying they're two separate things. It depends on your point of view. Right, right. But people like Dr. 13 don't see magic. They only see science. People like Tim, who see the world, you know, have the veil lifted or whatever and see the, the magic, that's what they see. And the, the, Arthur, the Arthur C. Clarke quote that you're talking about there is that any, any significantly advanced science is indistinguishable from magic is misunderstood (laughs) what he's saying is that if you don't understand something it feels like magic because that's the truth that's why and the reason that so many people attribute modern medical science or whatever to magic is because they're fucking idiots (laughs) and they don't understand what's being told to them that's why people don't believe in evolution because their minds can't comprehend that that's the way the natural order of the universe works they don't understand the idea that we're just uh, a chaotic pile of energy sitting on a ball um, (laughs) spinning through a universe that's so big that they couldn't even comprehend it if they saw it. And that's that's what that quote means. And that's essentially what, uh, who was it, Phantom Stranger? I think so. Is saying, but he's just saying that if if you understand magic, that is your science. If you understand science, that is your magic. And that they're... They do the same thing, just from different points of view. Hmm. That's, well, that's one way to look at it. I really didn't pick up on that part of it, but uh, okay, yeah. And he goes into it again, like when he talks, when they're talking to Doctor Thirteen, and what's his, Tim says, like, "Oh, he doesn't believe in magic, or uh, he he thinks magic's not real." And John goes, "Yeah, and for him, it's not, because that's not the world that he sees. Once you go into the world of magic, that's what you see, and there's no going back." But if you don't go into that world, you don't see the magic. You only see reality. 
your rationalizations of it. Okay. All right. Still, good quote, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Was, oh, the only other thing I had to say was just about Harry Potter and why I hate Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, so Harry Potter is a really good example of why I don't like tattoos. Oh, no. I think I've brought this. Maybe I haven't brought this up. I think. But so I know a lot of people who have been obsessed with Harry Potter for decades, you know, since it was new, since it was the books or the movies or whatever. And people love to get the little Deathly Hallows tattoos. I know multiple people with that exact same tattoo. To which point it's like, well, is it even like, I mean, who the fuck cares now? You're just branding yourself. (laughs) It's not original or interesting anymore. (laughs) But, uh, Regardless, a lot of people get that tattoo. Now, J.K. Rowling is, I mean, a bigot. There's no way around <laughs> that. She's uh, become like, you know, poison. And I've seen a lot of her fans having to reconcile that, realizing that this person that they've loved and that they've loved her art for years is terrible. And now they've got her stamp on their body. Right, right. And it's yeah. one of those, like, especially with J.K. Rowling, which just will not fucking shut up. It's really hard to separate the art from the artist in that case. Oh, totally. And especially when you consider Harry Potter being a story about outcasts. And so people on the outcasts of society are attracted to that, you know, like, like uh, fans that are trans or gay or lesbian. And then hearing the create, like, like I, I was reading an article years ago, maybe like a year and a half ago or something about a trans fan of Harry Potter who had multiple Harry Potter tattoos, who is now having to hear about why the author of Harry Potter thinks that she is less of a person, you know, yeah. and like shit like that is, is maddening to me. And, and then Harry Potter is now a good example to me of why I will never get a tattoo for anything that I love because <laughs> You never know when that shoe's going to drop. And you're going to have to spend the rest of your life explaining this tattoo. Oh, no, it was before I knew about the fucking murdered kids. (laughs) Right. And the thing is, it could be like that for anything. Like, you could get a fucking maple leaf tattoo. And they're like, oh, is that because of the maple leaf killer? (laughs) Oh, that guy that fucking raped those people and then cut their heads off and stuffed maple leaves up their butt or whatever, you know? (laughs) Oh, no, it's not because of the maple leaf killer. I just really like maple leaves. Right. I love syrup. <laughs> yeah. No, it's because my birthstone is sapphire, not because of the sa- sapphire rapist who. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. oh dear. And it's like when you when you think of all the different ways that shit like that can be interpreted. Like I don't want to put any of that on my body. I'm good. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I think I've told you this story, but on a much lighter side of that, less controversial, uh, my brother loves... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he got Yolnir tattooed on his arm, and then Thor came out, and the Marvel movies started to become a big thing, and he could give a shit. But so many people were like, oh, you're a Thor fan! And he's like, no, no, I'm really not. <laughs> but again, the way, the way Norse iconography has been co-opted by, like, white nationalism, I guess it could be worse. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> Oh, poor brother. And then I remember, I remember say, having this like same discussion with a friend of mine who was way into tattoos, and she's like, she's like, well, to me, the thing that I love about tattoos is that it's like art that you get on your body forever. And I was like, well, forever for you. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, once you die, nobody's going to see that art. And I was like, imagine if the Mona Lisa had been tattooed on somebody's ass. <laughs> like we'd never see it. <laughs> And she's like, well, uh, I'm like, 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, this is art with an expiration date. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that if, if you really want art to be seen forever, it's not going to be on your body. <laughs> it tattoo like I have seven tattoos, so it's something that if you're gonna do it, and I have a few I regret. Honestly, I was like, oh yeah, that was a poor early twenty something decision. <laughs> that was not a good life choice. But you know, you get it. You have to get them for yourself, and they have to have some meaning for you because, like you said, they're gonna molder away. And if it just so happens that uh, the uh, person who inspired your tattoo turns out to be a transphobic, yeah. <laughs> narrow-minded asshat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like you know, I can. If I was a huge uh, fucking Harry Potter fan and decided that I didn't want to uh, associate with that anymore, I could throw my books in the trash or I could sell my memorabilia. Right. But I, you know, can't sell my my Deathly Hollows tattoo on my eyelid or whatever. Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a, <laughs> that's a life lesson that just sticks with you permanently, kind of. Oh dear. But um, no, I agree. Uh, Timothy Hunter over Harry Potter. And that's nothing against, like, even before we found out all this stuff about J.K. Rowling and her um, insistence to not consider different points of view. Um, I read the series and it's fine. It's fine. Um, but it did not grab me and captivate me like it has so many people and so many you know people our age. I think I read the first book because I had to <laughs> in college. <laughs> But I remember going to the movies. I remember, I will never forget this moment when the first one came out in winter of 2001. I was at my home playing Max Payne on my computer. And my friend Christian came over and was like, hey, dude, want to go see Harry Potter? <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, want to go see Harry Potter? I'm like, ah, no, I don't want to see that. He's like, come on. Like, dude, I'm fucking playing Max Payne, okay? <laughs> I'm about to take down Acer Corporation. I'm at the end here. Just let me play my game. And he's like, ah, come on. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll buy your ticket. And I, like, paused, and I was like, you'll buy my ticket, and you'll buy me popcorn? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, sure, okay. I'm like, all right, you got yourself a goddamn deal. Let's do this. <laughs> and I spent the whole time just like, ah! <laughs> like, ah, the fucking kids do it. Like, don't. Why are you finding the troll? Go tell the teacher. Ah! <laughs> this school has horrible security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder who the fucking bad guy is. Ah! <laughs> oh, God, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Needless to say, he did not ask me to go see any of the other Harry Potter movies with him. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it was a good date. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, let's wrap this up. We're going longer than I wanted to. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so like and subscribe. Be sure to share this. Wait, was this a vertigo for you? I didn't hear. Did you say that? <laughs> I didn't care for it much. Yeah. No, it is a vertigo. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if we said that or not. <laughs> Uh, anyway, like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Vertigo Voices and Instagram Vertigo Voices, or email us at Vertigo Voices at Gmail. Yeah, Vertigo Voices at Gmail .com. It's been a while since I've checked the email. So anyway, um, that's oh, that, ah, I forgot to mention that it's another character that shows up, uh, the Falconer. He shows up in the novel, but not in the uh, not in the miniseries. He's a character from the Books of Magic ongoing series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I started the ongoing series, and uh, yes. They throw him in as a uh, little connection there, I guess. But Talon? Tal what's his name? Ta Tamlin? Tamlin. Talman, maybe? I can't remember. Something like that. Talman. I sure, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> anyway, like and subscribe. Go listen. Fucking share with your friends. 
And everyone, go listen to Low Fidelity All Stars. Their album, How to Operate with a Blown Mind, is one of my favorite. I will go look that up now. Our <laughs> new theme song is really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we're done then. Goodbye. Goodbye.